Hey there. Hello. Let's just jump right in, because this is a long-ass movie. We are actually going to make this episode shorter than the movie itself. That's the goal. (laughs) It better be. We will reach it, one way or the other. Yeah. Whatever means necessary. (laughs) We'll cut out all of our jokes, whatever we have to do. (laughs) Yeah. No fun this episode. Also, do your homework ahead of time if you need to pause it now and come back to this episode later. Three and a half hours later, to be precise. (laughs) We got some time. Go watch the movie. I mean, it may be entertaining without the movie itself, too. I don't know, but... So, yeah, we're talking about Reds, which was directed by and also starred Warren Beatty. Mm-hmm. I always said it Beatty, I, I guess. I actually don't know. Don't know. <laughs> okay. Here's how much I don't know. I was getting him confused in my head with Warren Buffett. They're both Warren. Starts with a B. Oh, yeah, they're, they're quite different. Um, <laughs> Based on but this movie. that said, he started before our time, so we don't really... It wasn't, oh, damn, you go see the latest Warren Beatty, Beatty <laughs> film. We don't know. <laughs> and then Diane Keaton, who I love. The number one thing I took away from this movie is I love Edward Herman so much. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know him from anything else. So when you reacted that way, I was like, what? What do you mean? So he is the grandpa in Gilmore Girls. He, that is what I know him from. Oh, okay. He also apparently played FDR, which he also wears little round glasses in. So I don't know if he's just like, I won't take a role unless I get to wear my little round glasses. <laughs> <laughs> That's his signature. Everybody's got to look. But yeah, I was mostly just taken aback by how hot I found Edward Herman. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a problem. <laughs> this is distracting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. You know, it's from 1981. So everybody was a baby then. He looked baby great. Jack Nicholson. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That was good. Let's just give a very quick summary since, yeah, this is super long. So what what's the 50,000 foot view here? Uh, the 50,000 foot view is that this is a biopic of... John Reed. They call him Jack Reed throughout the film, and he went by Jack a lot of times. Uh, he was a radical journalist, a, I mean, a communist. And he's, you know, the main character, so he's played by Warren Beatty, and he's, the movie follows his romance with Diane Keaton's character, uh, Louise Bryant. So, you know what's funny is that I went in this movie not really knowing what it was about. I knew it was about him, but like, I think because the very first scene started with Louise Bryant that I thought it was just about her. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think they really did a pretty good job of like even screen time with them. Right. She doesn't fade into the background, which I appreciate. They focus on different things, I think between them and, and she's kind of used to, I don't know, emphasize like the importance of being a person or a human rather than just focusing on your work, which is a little like she could be revolutionary too, but she was still like a prominent character, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that kind of is the start of their first conflict. So like they meet each other in a socialite setting and eventually they hook up. She is married. A quite diseased setting. Like it's just a horrible place where where they're at. In in uh, upper crust of Portland. <laughs> so he's a class trader, right? I guess they both are. Oh yes. And so yeah, both of them are. He is lives a in real life like just a very privileged lifestyle and everything. I was wondering where he kept getting money from. I'm like, there's no way this man had to work for this. <laughs> yeah, he he was born rich. So well, I know. I guess I do need to do more research. Sometimes I'm not quite a hundred percent accurate on that. But from what I could tell, he was born rich in his maternal grandparents mansion so that's where he was born <laughs> nice life there louise bryant uh i think she had more of a middle class upbringing but but ended up 
marrying, you know, Hyra. So yeah, they meet, and even like the first time they meet, I really appreciate like how their relationship is kind of set up. Like they, she wants to interview him, and so they like sit and drink coffee all night, and they're just like really connecting intellectually, and. I just, I thought that was nice. I mean, like, yeah, eventually they do, like, start fucking, but, like, their whole relationship, like, that, and when they move to Greenwich Village, it is a kind of push and pull between, like, how much they both care about their work as writers versus, like, how much they like each other versus, like, how enmeshed in their friendships they are. Like, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, it's not just a shallow, like, oh, we had to spend every waking moment with each other. You know, like a classic hollywood obsessed sort of infatuation thing yeah and i think it's interesting because like louise travels across the country to to go live with them in greenwich and she is clearly intimidated by his friends because they're all like these intellectual people and like they list all all the people that they're running around with and they're like some big names in there you know like they're hanging (laughs) out with emma goldman (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's easy to feel intellectually not uh, quite up to snuff when you're compared to Emma Goldman. <laughs> yeah, right? I would be like, I'm never going to talk. You just talk. I'm just going to look at you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I appreciate like showing that conflict of like, it's hard when you feel like you don't fit in with like your significant other's friends and like you feel like out of place and she feels like overshadowed by him, which I think is like just not a conflict you see a lot. And I think even the choice of this movie to make the story almost equally about both of them, like, is good. Like, because, yeah, she could have totally been a side character. Yeah, I think it's an interesting lens and maybe a more understandable one, to be honest. Like, if you just follow the, I don't know, the historical things and, and, and focus only on the stuff that Jack Reed's doing, I mean, it's very political and to some people very interesting, but not to everybody. <laughs> Well, you know, just like political discussions and stuff like (laughs) I think she did kind of serve as a good grounding force because like even later in the movie when he's dealing with like party infighting like, yeah, that would be inscrutable to most people. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So they so they move to Greenwich Village together there. There's this whole kind of montage maybe of of all the radical discussions going on. And like we said, talking to Emma Goldman and Max Eastman. That's Edward Herman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And he's interesting because he was like a communist back then and everything. Very radical guy. Uh, But later in life, he turns anti-communist. And is very, yeah, he's very against all that in his later life. Falls off. He becomes Richard Gilmore. Becomes just a rich old man. (laughs) Yeah, it was a a product of, of Stalin. Um, and the purges and stuff that really turned him off. Basically, he published a book called Reflections on the Failure of Socialism. Damn. Okay. And then became a became a writer for the National Review. Ugh, mm. No. Fell pretty far. Yeah. Speaking of newspapers, Jack writes for a newspaper. Is it his own paper? The masses. Yeah. I think he just wrote for it. So yeah, I mean, this guy's. I mean, he's a fucking red, as as the title says. <laughs> like, we see an IWW pennant in his apartment. His I love his apartment door that just says, property is theft. Walk in. Yeah. <laughs> I say that all the time. Yeah, I've been to the property is theft. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> Part of this montage, you mentioned the IWW thing, is the, is the meeting. 
that he went to report on the labor meeting there. Oh, yeah. And then the one that the cops bust up. Yeah. That scene had Big Bill Haywood in it, who was going out there to, you know, preaching the uh, to everyone there to join the IWW and everything. And then the cops come. I mean, that that was a real thing that happened. It was a uh, a strike in New Jersey, the the silk mills there in Patterson. Mm, okay. Yeah, he does a, a ton of organizing in the film, like between that and then like he's just like at the bar talking to people like I, I love this one quote, which was, what does the capitalist make besides money? I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So they, they kind of go through this sort of exercise. And then meanwhile, like Louise is trying to figure out uh, how to fit in or what to do. And she keeps coming across as like not serious and they had this big argument about that but we'll get back to that later um then they what what's next they go to provincetown right oh they go to the beach the weird beach house oh my i love so much of the fashion of this movie probably my favorite part though was the beach outfits like all these oh, yeah. beautiful cardigans and pinstripes <laughs> i was into it uh you know, like the color palette just completely beige white <laughs> I don't know why. I would never wear that in real life, but I love it. (laughs) Um, And so then they have some some relationship issues. Jack goes off to St. Louis to the the Democratic Convention to cover all that. And I think to support Wilson also. He was like, oh, Wilson's going to keep us out of the war. Hopefully he better. You know, he's our best chance. Kind of doing this like lesser of two evils. (laughs) sort of move definitely like that's that's part of a lot of the discussion is the anti-war movement which i loved so a big part of this film and i I think one of my favorite methods they use is they intersperse the story with interviews from people who are like knew them or were just around in that time period yeah and i one of my favorite moments was somebody was like Oh, yeah, there was, like, some anti-war sentiment. And then another one said, everyone was for the war. Everyone. (laughs) Yeah, that was was a great juxtaposition. They did really well with that, I think, with the witnesses. And they have have someone saying, like, well, I'm not here to talk about anybody. I'm not going to gossip about anyone. And then the very next person was like, well, they were always kind (laughs) of just characterizing it. Yeah, they were totally gossipy. Yes, it was great. But, yeah, we kind of left those out, the, the... the interviews really add a lot to it, I think, because some of them are direct, like, you know, knew them, interacted with them in some way. Some of them are like, just like you said, we're kind of around or add mm, historical context to it. And they're all just very funny. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I, I really enjoyed those. Even like how I was thinking about this, like towards the end of the movie, I was thinking, fuck the time period of this movie is only like how many years does it cover like not very many uh yeah it it ends in 1920 okay it starts like what 1916 19 yeah 16 i think is when they meet okay so much happened and not just like in a movie sense in like a world stage sense like you have yeah and and you know that's like Jack's title of his book is 10 Days That Shook the World. But I was just like, God, can you imagine the kind of intensity of that time period of like, oh, we just had a world war. There's a revolution in Russia. Like, what is happening? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's it was a crazy time. I, I always love the Lenin quote of, you know, uh, weeks where decades of history happen. Yeah. And like 
even some of the old people they were interviewing, like I, I think you know, some of them were were more radical, and they were just like, I was so excited when that happened. Like they were talking yeah. about how they felt, and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it would be crazy. Um, there's this. It reminds me of this song called "Song of the Old Communist" by Leon Rosselson. Uh, and one of the lyrics there is just one that I, I think about a lot when I think about this specific time period of history and the Russian revolution and everything it says, and I always remember how fear shook the wealthy, like thieves who had just been caught out in their crimes. Ooh, yes. And you're, and you're just like thinking people kind of felt this, like the world has to be different now, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think the movie does a good job of letting you get kind of swept away in that, too. Mm-hmm. The only other thing I want to say about their their beach time is that she she starts not in a fair because they're all like, oh, we're free love or whatever. Right. But she starts acting on that. <laughs> yeah. So she's like, all right, I'll do it. And she hooks up with a playwright, Eugene O'Neill. I just wanted to ask, are you team Gene or are you team Jack? I mean... I get why it happened and everything. You, uh, O'Neill was a just a mess. Uh, definitely not. <laughs> he seemed like a mess. Their relationship was not good long term, but I mean, maybe it was good for a fling, you know. I agree. I think he kind of gave her what she needed at the time, and I, yeah. I liked how devoted he was to her. Like he was like willing yeah. to go get him out of a fucking Finnish prison for her, but he was also an asshole, especially later. He's really quite a weird person. So. <laughs> But he's funny. He's very funny. (laughs) He was very funny. Okay, so I also want to talk about, before we hop over to Russia with them, Jack goes to a socialist party meeting, and everyone's split on, like, how they should approach, like, being anti-war, basically. They're like, oh, it's going to be too hard because it will be seen as unpatriotic and stuff like that. And Jack Uh starts trying to speak, and they say, like, you don't have any credentials here because you're not a delegate. And it totally contrasts with how he's treated in russia yes we're yeah. just like you have the floor now go for it everyone has credentials <laughs> mm-hmm. he's yeah he's facing this sort of bureaucracy i thought it was very good and that's i think he's he's just reporting right on the on the situation at that point and that's where you first see the character of of louis freina yeah tell me about this guy louis freina is an interesting guy he was one of the he was in the socialist party of america for a while or for not very long. Then he drops out and like joins the socialist labor party, which was like Daniel de Leon's group. But then like when world war one was kind of rearing up, I think he had kind of fallen out of the social labor party by then, like just started writing more instead of doing party stuff. But he like joins back up with this time with the socialist party of America. Cause they were a bigger deal. And so then he ends up there and, 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 We'll we'll kind of get into later when they have the split. He's a major, he's a major figure in it. But this is where we first see him, and he first starts talking to Jack Reed and everything. Yeah, I had one more note about beach time. I'm just gonna also these guys are just really bad at like open relationships and polyamory. It just they just suck at it. I I, I found that frustrating. Like they both claim to be into like free love and independence and all that stuff, and it's like. But they, they could not do it in practice. So I don't know. I thought that was annoying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there may be a lot of people for whom that's true. You know, it's a it's a it's an idea that they like, but they can't live for whatever reasons. There are ways to do it. Like, ethically, they're just bad at it. I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they for sure are. And I mean, you know, one of the things 
So I guess it's while they're at the beach still or whatever, when he comes back and they kind of reconcile, then they end up getting married. Yeah, yeah. And they're embarrassed about it, which I thought was funny. Well, so in the biography stuff about them, it seems like the kidney thing was more closely related to that. He has an operation to get a kidney out. And he wanted to make sure that she was provided for, like, in his will and things, for what money he did have and and all that. So I think that that was more related. Like, I mean, they did. They were devoted, of course. But I don't know about the, like, how much the marriage thing was tied up with that or not. The movie made it seem like it was a different thing. Yeah, like, they only got married because, like, he got jealous. And I'm like, I don't think that's, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> no, and I think, yeah. To be honest, though, they both kind of did want to be married slash do their own thing also i don't know they were they were interesting (laughs) yeah yeah all right hop over to europe after they have a fight because they're bad at the emotions and jealousy and such louise goes to france to be a war correspondent jack gets his kidney removed they meet up and he convinces her to go to russia with him and my note for this section is is it possible to feel patriotic for another country? <laughs> what do you mean? I got really swept up in this when like the revolution <laughs> oh. pops off. You have yes. you have this song, you have people in the streets with their banners and their candles, and I was like, oh, I was like pumping my fist literally yes. on my couch. <laughs> it is such a good sequence. The international is playing. Like you said, there was a meeting, uh one of the one of just the Soviets, you know, one of just the 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 workers' councils meeting and everything. These were spontaneously happening all over the place. It's crazy. And you get a real feel for, like, the rushed, like, the the chaotic air of everything. Um, in the book that he gets famous for writing, and he's writing during this time period in the movie, Ten Days That Shook the World. But, yeah, he, go, he goes to that meeting, and, like you said, the guy's like, you don't need credentials. Get up there and speak. Tell them about the about what the Americans would do and all that, you know? Oh, yeah. That part made me like, ooh, I, I think you're kind of exaggerating here because he's like, yeah, American workers will totally support the revolution. Like, we're you have allies there. And I'm like, I mean, you do, but I don't know if you have that many. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that he thought he was right, though. Like, there was, in socialist and communist circles, you know, there was this belief that they didn't think it was going to pop off in Russia, really, you know, but wherever it was happening, like the revolution was going to cascade, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, like in real life, he did like speak at these meetings saying, you know, hopefully it would call forth an answer from America's oppressed and exploited masses and, you know, Damn. address them and stuff. And it was a pretty cool moment. I don't know. It was just like, man, imagine doing that, you know? <laughs> oh, it was crazy. They were like, seeing Lenin and Trotsky give speeches. It's hilarious. They like didn't speak Russian. So they're just always running around being like, do you speak English? Can you translate for us? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And the scene where they like busted into the palace, that was nuts. Like it was just to me did a good job of capturing, like you said, the, the kind of chaos in the air, but like it also seemed pretty rad. There was a joy to it. You mean, you, I mean, they have really good scenes of people marching through the streets with their red banners and all yeah. that. That was the high point <laughs> of the movie, for I sure. So. I was I was also pumping my fist with that. Hell Even yeah. on like the fourth viewing or whatever, I was like, ah, oh, this is still great. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, things have to come back down to earth and it's not great. They go back to New York. His notes get confiscated by customs, which like... Mm-hmm. That sucks. He gets them back, I guess, because he's able to write his book. Uh, yeah, I think Eastman says he's going to help him get them back or something. I don't know. 
Louise gets called into a Senate hearing and they ask her like if she's Christian, which is weird. I'm like, is this what we're doing right now? Well, that was one of the things, right? The the communists are, are godless, you know, they're these atheists and I mean, I understand. It's nineteen whatever, it's olden times. You can't just persecute people for not being Christian and that just seems crazy. America's a Christian nation and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know Whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what they were doing, and it was a way to like. Uh, so honestly, they wouldn't have said like, "Well, now you're, you're going to be thrown in jail for not being a Christian." But what they were trying to set up, and what they were, you know, since a congressional hearing or whatever, they were just trying to make her look bad by saying like, "This person is an atheist." First of all, second of all, look at them supporting this terrible regime. They want to, you know, overthrow the government. They want anarchy, you know, like there was a lot of things that could tie into that. And that was just part of the broader like smear of her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then we get some party infighting because Jack writes his book and he gets elected to the Socialist Party like leadership. Mm -hmm. And oh, (laughs) sorry. Here are my notes. I just wrote. He kind of looks like Robin Williams and sounds like Harrison Ford, by the way. (laughs) Anyway, that does not have to do with anything. We get to a split, which like I forgot this was coming because I didn't know much about this guy's life. And so I was just like, cool, we're going to organize now. And then I was like, oh, fuck, they're fighting. Okay, I think I know what's happening. It's the split. Yep. Yeah. One of the one of the many splits that we covered in the (laughs) in the history of the parties. But this is where it happened. And it's, I mean, it's a very accurate depiction (laughs) of what went down. It is so frustrating to watch. It is so, like, petty and just, it's just upsetting. It's just like, man, we just went from this, like, wonderful, glorious revolution to just bullshit politics. Yeah, yeah. And it's upsetting because it happens with both of them. So it's upsetting, first of all, like, the Socialist Party, when faced with this election of radicals to leadership they're just like yeah that was a bullshit election and they just nullify it and then it's frustrating like the difference in tactics that they have you know like they had all either stayed to fight for their you know to, to regain leadership of the socialist party or if they had all gone freina's route and started a new party i think either one of those routes mm-hmm. it would have been more effective had they all done it together yeah, no, I totally agree. I was really frustrated by that. It, and the petty part felt when Louis comes to his like own little meeting and is like, hey, we started our own party. Like, you guys should join us. And he's like, well. You should have thought of that before. Exactly. Yeah. And I was like, okay, listen to yourself. Listen to the words you're saying. <laughs> like, get over it. Yeah, that's the third level of frustrating is once they fail to take it over and they just get kicked out and the, and the socialists call the cops on them yes, to get them the thrown fuck? out. Ugh. Like we're socialists ever. Yeah, if you find yourself calling the cops on your fellow socialists, I don't think you're a socialist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and so, yeah, they're at their little meeting. They're starting the Communist Labor Party. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Freyna shows up. Wait, we've like already got a... <laughs> the other party, we should work together. And they're like, no, you not about four. Ugh. And Louise like tells him off for it, which I appreciated. I, I think she was more focused on like, hey, why does this have to be you? Because like, I kind of just want to chill with you. 
But I think she does also rightly tell him off for like, this is dumb. This is infighting. You don't need to do this. Yeah. I, to me, I appreciated that. I thought that it would have rung more true to me if she were more active in the party itself instead of standing by criticizing. Yeah. She also, yeah. Most of her involvement with the party does seem like she's just like staring wide eyed. <laughs> right. She's like Jack Reed's plus one at the essentially at yes. the meetings. And it's like, you should be more involved. But I mean, I, th- I still think she was kind of right to say like, don't you, you guys are, are splitting and being petty. I wonder like, was Louise in real life less involved than Jack? Uh, she was, she was less involved in that. She wasn't a member. Um, she hadn't joined at all, like the socialist party or of course, either of the factions. So yeah, I guess that makes sense. Historically speaking too. But then still, historically speaking, like, join the party. Come on, (laughs) do something. I mean, women didn't even have the vote, which she points out to that Senate hearing. Like, hey, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, it's more than more than you can say here. (laughs) Yeah, that was hilarious. She fucking slammed that. She owned that dude. Yeah, it was great. Okay, so Jack goes to Russia again. He wants the common turn to approve of his faction and he gets denied. And I thought this was interesting. This whole argument both here and later in the movie this argument between personal responsibility and the party and i can see both sides of it which shows why i think it's an interesting argument basically he keeps coming up against the party leadership wanting him to stay and work in russia and he's like i gotta get home to my wife she's gonna be really fucking pissed if i'm not home by christmas and then later he the party leadership like changes his speeches and he's not cool with that. Like they changed the yeah. translation, which was a big translation change, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, that was a major, major shift. Yeah. He's, where is he when that's happening? That's out in Baku. Where is Baku? Azerbaijan. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm jumping all over the place. It's just these two are, I think very related. No. Yeah. You're, you're right. That, that sort of a uh, clash of, uh, individualism, how to maintain one's own individual, not freedom, but like autonomy, maybe to do things versus party discipline. In Baku, his speech gets mistranslated and he they, ter- they turn class war into a holy war. And he's like, whoa, that's not what I said. <laughs> and uh, so he confronts uh, his name is Zinoev. Zinoviev. Zinoviev. Yeah. And he's like, hey, what the fuck? Don't change my writing. And he's like, no, this is just going to be a better motivator for them. And his argument is that, like, you're trying to be an artist and a revolutionary at the same time, and you can't do that, which I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> but, you know, his his thing is very much like, it's all about the party. Like, I don't care if you want to go home to your wife. I don't care if you want to write what you want to write. Like, you have to do things for the benefit of the party. And... I'm much more aligned with Jack's argument, which was, he's just like, you're taking away what makes people individuals. And that is like destroying the party. Maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I could see what he was saying there as applied to just anybody living in the country that, you know, was undergoing a socialist revolution or whatever. Like, yeah, you don't want to like impose that sort of that sort of like anti-human discipline on people and just say like, well, you got to do everything a hundred percent for the revolution because people got to live their lives now. But what about for the leadership? Maybe not the party membership generally, but the leadership itself. I mean, maybe not 
a hundred percent all the way to the extreme of eat raw meat and get buff, but you do need to like have some measure, some amount of like extreme dedication, I think to, to the project. But I mean, the, the quote I wrote down from his rant against him was revolution is dissent. And I think, I think both that and, and I think Emma Goldman, as she's portrayed in the movie and her issue with, with Russia, like I, I think to me, that's the core of the issue is that they are now suppressing their own people and making it so you're not allowed to speak up against the party. And then who who is your party even for? I think to an extent, though, because you can't go to the other side and go too far and then say you have to let any sort of dissent because you can't let I mean, this is not what Reed or anyone else is doing, but, you know, you can't let people start saying, well, what if we start doing capitalism again? Or what if we bring the czar back? Or, you know, there's limits. But yeah, you're right that like certain types of dissent, I mean, need to be heard. It's it's like, how else are you going to correct things when they go wrong? You know, you need to be in touch with the masses. I think it's also difficult because like Jack Reed is not a citizen of Russia. (laughs) He's just like there. So I don't know. I think it's weird that he's considered like as a leader of this even i'm just like what are you doing i'm I'm glad he's there i guess because it's interesting but it kind of kidnaps him right (laughs) it it does yeah it kind of just it gets kind of crazy so well there's the you know flip side of that maybe is like well you're you know we're not really super about nations right so you're maybe a citizen of you're a worker of the world so help us come on (laughs) yeah maybe anyway but it still kind of sucks for him yeah, I, I think I just, the lines that I connected with most were on the other side. So, like, mm-hmm. the, the idea of, I was obviously against, like, Zinoviev because he was saying, like, you're trying to be an artist and fuck that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, like, but I I thought that was weird, too. And Louise said something similar earlier in the movie. She was like, oh, you shouldn't go to Russia. Like, you're an artist. You're a writer. That's what you should be doing. I'm like, you can do both. Like, you can be revolutionary and be an artist. You, I guess, have ex- you experienced that sort of intersection, and I'm more. I'm like, yeah, I guess so. I don't see how I'd combine <laughs> them, but I got gotcha. you. <laughs> because I, I think, you know, and Louise tells him like the thing that has made such a big difference. The reason, really, that Jack was able to get into politics at all—not at all—but like what really propelled him to stardom was his book. So, like, he has a way of explaining things to people that clearly resonates, even when he's just like talking to people in the bar or whatever. So like he's able to use that to connect to people. I think there's a misconception about journalism that it's supposed to be this impartial and neutral thing. And I'm like, that's not what that is. Like that first off, that's impossible. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's just not a thing people can do. That's called just like a table of statistics (laughs) exactly and even those like how did you you know show this like you know statistics can also do all kinds of dances for you his big power and i think that's why he's so uncomfortable with those translations being changed is his words and so he's really he's really upset when those get changed and again that was a really big change so yeah and i think louise feels the same way because like she also is a writer and there's lots of scenes of them collaborating and like editing each other's work and I, I think that involves a ton of trust with them like I think it's telling like early in the movie they don't really let each other do that as much and later they're like much more comfortable editing each other's stuff yeah one thing I would add I guess to this debate is there's a difference between like what he chooses to do 
you know, what any artist chooses to do in their, on their own, like for their job or, or, or for their art or whatever you want to call it, you know, their own thing, right. You know, you're publishing this book or whatever versus like work that they do for the party. I don't know. I mean, if you're following the principle of like democratic centralism, the party is supposed to like make these decisions together and you're just one voice. Like, even if you're the guy like writing it, ultimately you would revise that all together and decide what are we going to actually put out there for propaganda for whatever we're doing. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's right. And they do show like committee meetings where Jack is just like being really stubborn and not willing to move on from a subject. I wonder if some of the issue was they tried to go international too quickly because very early on they're like having meetings in multiple languages and it's, it's super (laughs) cool, but it's also really confusing. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of chaotic and one wonders, but they're, they're also, I mean, they've just put together the common turn. That's their big meeting there. You know, that's who he's trying to get recognition from and all that. So they're trying to organize, uh, I mean, this is like what Trotsky would have been all about, right? The, the world revolution. And you can see where they're coming from, like, because we're going to be on an island, assaulted on all sides by capitalists and imperialists, you know? Yeah, they, they talk about how, you know, the allies turn against Russia and they have all these blockades and like, it's, it's rough stuff. This is actually where I first learned about that whole like invasion of Russia after and during the civil war and everything was one of the witnesses I think mentions it. I was like, what? So I went to look it up. (laughs) Tell me about this because you do not hear about this. Yeah. This is from January, 1918 to May, 1925. If you, depending on how you measure it, but um, the allies of the first world war were pissed basically that Russia had dropped out, you know, and they were worried that all this stuff was going to end up in the hands of, of the uh, advancing German army and turned against them, you know. So they actually did, like, invade Soviet Russia. This was sort of more on the periphery for a while. But then, I mean, they were, like, pretty close in terms of actually attacking more the core of, of Russia. Well, it's all in the context of the Civil War. So it's really hard to say if uh, a specific number of like of uh Soviets were killed in this because it's all kind of lumped together but it was I mean I guess when you come away from it it's kind of crazy to imagine that this country is going to all of a sudden be like oh yeah like let's just be friends with the capitalist nations <laughs> when they like literally invaded them on day 1 and initially while just trying to like protect their you know war material or whatever uh this mission sort of expanded to like hey let's overthrow this thing you know let's destroy these guys wow 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 so yeah i mean they're pissed at russia for pulling out and so this is not just like aid this is a full this is like invasion stuff too it's not like they're just supporting the white army or something no we're talking american troops in vladivostok cool love it yeah so so they were doing that they were pushing on all fronts and and i'm not you know military history not my thing of course (laughs) but uh the my understanding of it is that it was initially sort of this limited action that ends up being more like, let's see if we can destroy this project altogether. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of the movie, this kind of is the backdrop for Jack's time in a Finnish prison. He tries to 
tries to leave the country because he wants to go see his wife. What What is he on? Like, he's, like, riding some sort of rail track. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. It looked like <laughs> maybe one of those cartoon things where you have the little pump, just a different version of that. Yeah, it was super weird. Anyway, so he's, he's riding along the countryside, and then he gets stopped by some soldiers and gets thrown in a Finnish prison. And Louise tries to get him released from the States, but she can't. And so she, like treks on over she smuggles herself into russia a thing that's very hard to do well i guess into finland and he's gone by the time she gets there you know eventually they meet up again but like that whole that was a frustrating part because he like kept sending her telegrams like where are you it's different than real life somewhat so he does go to finland and get arrested and held and and uh all that stuff that does happen I think he's able to get word to her at some point uh, during that. Like that whole telegrams thing isn't really, it's not really a deal. Oh, okay. There may be some point when they're like not able to talk, but it's not like for a long time. And uh, the way she gets over is a little less, I mean, it's (laughs) not that dramatic, but she, she goes disguised as the wife of a Swedish businessman. Ooh. Yeah. That's not as exciting. Yeah. But she goes, I think, to Petrograd because he's already been released. But like, uh, she knows when he gets released and stuff. Okay, good. Because he gets returned. That prisoner exchange thing was real. He gets returned and then he is able to telegram her and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to Moscow. Like, or I think Petrograd at the time. Um, so come meet me there. Okay, gotcha. I like that she met up with Emma Goldman there and like she kind of... Emma finally kind of approves of her, which like, I, yeah, that was something that bothered me. Like she was just kind of mean to Louise. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I thought it was a little merited because Louise was really like, they had that big argument about the war, this crazy world that we're in. Why are you writing about something that happened three years ago or whatever? You know, like, what is the point? And, and <laughs> to me, I was thinking, damn, and I'm, I'm about to, <laughs> Do a podcast episode on a movie from 40 years ago. What am I doing? <laughs> yeah. I I think, again, I disagree with that. Like, I think history is important. <laughs> I do, too. But I also can see the critique because, like, I don't think what she was re- going to write about the Armory show or whatever it was called was going to tie it in sufficient, like, to make it relevant to today. It was just going to be navel gazing, right? Or the thing about the railroads or whatever mm-hmm. that she was writing, like without that direction, it was difficult to say, well, this is serious work. It's not that you can't write about old things or talk about old movies or whatever, like, but you have to then take that and, and turn it relevant somehow. Like that's what makes it meaningful to any, well, I mean, that's what makes it meaningful from a certain point of view. There are people who say like, you should just, you know, create whatever is of interest to you or, you know, like it doesn't have to have a political meaning or it doesn't have to be relevant toward like a broader revolutionary. I get that, but yeah. But if she's trying to get involved in that world or is at all interested in that world, then I see what you're saying. I, I think just her and Jack represent two opposite ends of like that spectrum where she is more kind of navel gazy and just kind of like art for art. Yeah. I would hate to be her editor. (laughs) She's just like, I write about what I want to write about. And I'm like, all right, but uh, you're right. Like, I wouldn't want to read about an art show from three years ago. Like, that, you should have done it faster. 
Yeah, and I love when she's talking to Emma Goldman in one of those earlier scenes, and she oh, asks yeah. her what she writes about, and she's like, everything. Nothing. Yeah, and she's like, uh, what the fuck? She just looks at her like, Are you, is there anything up there? <laughs> I, I think Jack is the other side of like, he is so involved as a journalist as to be like, I don't know. I don't know if he can be a journalist anymore because he's he's in it. You know what I mean? Well, he's a great I don't know. I think he's a great journalist in that sense that you were saying of like not being neutral of presenting the facts, but like telling the story, right? Telling the story and and from a lens that you, you know, you get it. You understand what lens he's coming from, but it's still a really good account of what's happening. They mentioned some of the witnesses mentioned at some point that he's like terrible at poetry. poetry (laughs) That was hilarious. But his writing style in terms of journalism is really, I think, very well done because it's like it's it's almost terse, but it really gets, you know, I think it really gets a good rhythm. You know, it's like bulletin sort of, you know, like, here we go. It's it's uh, it's crisp. I think it's very hard to tell, too, because, yeah, I haven't read any of his writing or Louise's writing. So like all of our judgment on whether or not they're good journalists comes from other people. I don't know, I really, maybe not related to isn't the right word, but I, I I felt for Louise whenever she felt just totally in his shadow. Like people would ask, what do you do? I write, and they wouldn't ask any follow-up questions. You know, yeah. they, it well, was very much nice. just like, you're Jack's girl, you know? Yeah. And I mean, one, this is why I would never date someone in the same field as me. I would murder them. There's just no way, <laughs> get there out. There can only be one. <laughs> exactly. I have to be the quirky fun artist. You're not allowed. <laughs> I, and But she does. She does feel legitimately overshadowed by him. And I think some of it is like warranted because like, yeah, she does write about some bullshit stuff. But whenever she tells him again, like, you know, you're a writer, you should do more writing instead of politics. I, I think he might have been better at that because we see when he enters into politics, he is so taken by his views and so stubborn and, you know, prone to infighting. He's not a good leader. So like maybe he shouldn't. She's probably right about that because he's, he's he's seen in the movie anyway. I don't know if this was how he was in real life, but I mean, you can kind of surmise from that whole splitting thing Mm -hmm. that he had this in him, you know? Yeah. For me, it was, it was, it was the scenes within like, yeah, the, the American socialist party infighting that whole split. And also in the common turn, he was just being disruptive at a certain point and like just bad at it. And I would have much preferred to see him maybe stay on the floor, like organizing with workers and just continuing to write and tell people about things instead. Like I don't, maybe that's, Maybe I'm just totally. No, I think you're I think you're right, because he's a muckraker. I mean, he wants to stir shit up. He wants to, you know, criticize and call attention to and get people to do better than they're doing. You know, and that's good. You need that. But maybe he shouldn't work for the party then. Yeah, because I mean, you know, he's when they have that scene at their in their kitchen or whatever, and he's just like berating this dude for missing the meeting. Oh, that was mean. <laughs> it's like you get it. I mean, I understand you're frustrated, but he's basically trying to be, you know, Zenovia level of asshole to these guys. But and I don't know, it just doesn't work here. Like, you know, we don't have that sort of party structure or what have you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's trying to make the same kind of revolution happen with 
you know, a shoestring amount of of participation. Like, it's just not going to happen here at, at that time. And like, you know, I wish, but <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I think I'm much more, I was much more interested in his, his dissent in, not in terms of party politics, but in terms of his writing and his organizing, I guess is my, my thought on it. And I, I think, I think on the other hand, Louise could have done more. Yeah. And I wouldn't say, I don't know, it's not, I don't want to say like it's invalid to do art for art's sake and all that. Like, no, it's, no, you know, yeah. do your, do your thing for sure. But I guess I was just commenting like to be seen as serious by Emma Goldman, you had to, you know, you had to find a way to tie that in. And I think that's when, because by that point in the movie and, you know, the real life subjects they're talking about, Louise Bryant had gone and started speaking and you know she did that thing in the senate and everything so she was like spreading the word you know she was doing lectures on like her time in russia and stuff yeah so she was she eventually started doing the work yeah i also want to talk about i mean maybe this is going to be too similar of a conversation but his conversation with emma goldman i think this is after he's released and and um what's her name before he goes off to baku Yes, they, they have had the meetings. He's been kind of frustrated and shut out, and he like resigns. Yes, and he goes and argues with Emma Goldman, and I I love this classic anarchist versus Marxist Leninist <laughs> argument. And you know which side I'm on. I'm yeah. I'm always with my girl Emma. I think Jack raised some interesting counterpoints too. I think he did. You know? I really did. I was a little bit torn. I was like, mm, okay, not bad. You did a good job, but. So so what let's let's outline what they were talking about. So she's talking about the fuel issue, saying like I don't understand why we can't just like go out there and cut down some fucking trees and you know get through this winter more comfortably. Yeah. And what is his argument to that? He says, well, the workers, the peasants, everybody, the 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 people who have never had any experience running things before are now running things. Of course, it's going to be hard to do. You know, it's going to be challenging to put all this together and plus we have this big blockade of all the foreign powers making everything way harder for us to achieve yeah yeah and he kind of berates her being like did you think this would be easy and i'm like i don't think she had any illusions that this would be easy i no but i don't like how he characterizes the people who have never been in charge before he kind of acts like they're dummies and they need someone to lead they're stupid and illiterate you know yeah i mean yeah i guess not kind of he does say it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that. Uh, I feel two ways about it. I feel like one, well, you should work on educating them, but not in a way that takes away their power, if that makes sense. Because I think his solution is, well, they're too dumb to do it. Let's just do it for them with our party apparatus. Whereas Emma is like, well, they know to get fuel. Like, that's pretty fucking easy. Let's just do the fucking work. So she's saying just to send them out there. Mm-hmm. Do you think that would have worked i don't know i mean i don't know enough about the you know the situation situation but but i i guess on a more theoretical level which you know fat lot of good that's gonna do (laughs) i i understand the tension between like hey we need to get everyone on board with our message so we can be a united front but i i struggle with the other end of that which is our message is the only right message and we have to be you know, we have to shut out dissenters. Yeah, because she's talking about also like the jailing of anarchists, mm-hmm. and shutting down newspapers. I mean, he's very Lenin about it because he says that 
they don't know how to run it, that they're being blockaded. But in, in, in saying like, how did you think this was going to work? You know, did you think this was going to be nice and peaceful? He kind of says, this is a war and we've got to fight it like a war. He says with discipline, with terror, with firing squads, like the whole thing, or we just give it up. And he's just, he's kind of saying whatever means necessary. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but Emma Goldman's may, may be saying kind of like, that's understandable war, you know, against an opponent, you know, against a class opponent, but we're not talking, we're talking people with different ideas. Yes. Your own people, you know. Yes, that, that is, those are the words I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I, I totally get it. Like, yeah, fuck the capitalists, like, get rid of them, that's fine. You know, get rid of the people who are on your borders and surrounding you and blockading you, that's fine. But I don't think it should be such an oppressive environment where, yeah, you are throwing your own people, like, there's this one very short scene that I, I really liked, which was just Louise and um, Max, what's his name? Eastman? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just uh, just hanging out in an office. And I think they're like waiting on an update from Jack or something. But he at one point, Max just says, you know, we all basically believe the same thing. And we come back to this issue a lot. It's like that's the core <laughs> struggle of trying to run a movement that is on some level based on both like logic and morality, kind of like we were talking last week with the diggers. Like Mm -hmm. we want what's best for people on like a moral standpoint. And we also think this, this is just a better way to run things. But when you're, you're working with such a completely new concept, like at one point someone in the interview says like, you know, this was a very like right wing take on it, but they're saying something to the effect of like, this was new. People didn't know what communism was. So they thought it was good and blah, 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 <laughs> which that's not what we're talking about oh, here. But what I'm saying yeah. is you're trying a new way to run humanity. One of the interviewers says something to that effect. And when you're working with such large stakes and such violent opposition, as we're seeing in the movie and obviously in history, it's very hard to balance like staying united enough to actually fight the opposition and maintaining enough freedom so that everyone is still on board and happy that they're on that side. Yeah, I would agree. Cause you're right that you face such opposition and not just with direct invasions, but you've got to imagine that whatever precursors of the CIA or whatever, you know, all <laughs> the sides were like trying to do whatever they could to fuck oh, with yeah. this, with, with, with this covertly too. Right. And get spies and saboteurs and all this to. Yeah. I mean, Louise is getting tailed by feds. They, mm-hmm. they raid her house, like all that shit's happening. And you know, there's more shit going on behind the scenes. Like, it's it's not going to come peacefully. I, I am 99% sure on that. <laughs> and so, yeah, it makes it, it's going to be super hard in any future attempts. And it obviously was super hard for them to find out, like, what are, what are disagreements that we're having with people that are just kind of contradictions, you know, just kind of like among allies that we can work out versus what are actually antagonistic contradictions, actually things that won't work out in any other way but violence that we have to actually like take apart. You know, like what are what are things that what are actual enemies that are trying to fight us to the death and how, you know, telling who those are versus 
who are people who want us to succeed, but just have a different idea of it, you know? Yeah, like I, I almost wish there was some sort of like golden rule that we could use as the touchstone so that like whenever we find ourselves having these these ridiculous or not ridiculous, but like very important, but difficult conversations about like in-party stuff, we can kind of go back and be like, hey, we're on the same side, you know? Like, I, I think I've made this metaphor before, but like when, when you're in a serious relationship with someone, you can always go back to the goodwill you have for that person and be like, we're on the same side, you know? Like you, yeah. you can always say like, we're not breaking up over this, but I do want to talk about this. And I think there needs to be some way <laughs> to say that. What I'm saying is everyone should get married. No. <laughs> but there there should be some sort of like mutual respect in the room so that you don't have as many splits and parties and so that you are able to dissent in like a, a meaningful way that doesn't cause issues. Right, yeah. If it's disagreements among the people versus disagreements between like the people and, you know, the class enemies and, and, and stuff like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like you should be able to d- distinguish between those. Right. Yeah. And if you're thrown anarchist in jail, like I think you failed at that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would agree, <laughs> but not every communist would agree with that. I guess, I guess that's where they have this argument. And Jack Reed kind of talks himself into through this argument with Goldman and saying like, no, you got to stick to it. You know, like they're not doing everything perfect, but if you walk out now, what are you even, you know, were you even on the right side in the first place? Like, are you really a communist basically? And so he talks himself back into, you know, into unresigning and getting sent off to Baku. Yeah. Okay. First off, love this train he's on. It's painted with some very cool murals. Yeah. It is cool looking. (laughs) Uh, I called it the freedom train in my notes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what is going on at Baku? Like, I feel like I should have known about this. This is crazy. Uh, let's see. He gets sent off to, uh, he gets sent off to the Congress of the Peoples of the East, a multinational conference. So it was September 1920. And, uh, you have nearly 1900 delegates from across Asia and Europe. And, um, they kind of like, you know, kind of like in the movie, they're giving speeches and, and hearing from the people there and trying to organize, trying to organize communist movements or like communist allies in these regions. Cause this, these are all like technically different countries. Mm-hmm. Um, they're different, uh, Soviet socialist republics and stuff. So they're kind of like spreading the word and, and, and getting everyone on the same page as to what they're going to be doing. Yeah. It felt super chaotic in the movie, just like multiple languages being spoken. And it, it was cool on one level. Cause I was like, damn, this was going on everywhere to some extent. I mean, not like, you know, every single person or every single country was going to pop off into a revolution. But like, there were enough people in so many countries to make this happen. Like, that's pretty nuts. Yes. Yeah. And you see like the, they go to one place and they've got like, uh, red stars up and they've got, uh, burning effigies in France and Britain and the U S that's pretty funny. (laughs) The Soviet project, the Soviet union, was just such it was such a huge you know a huge mm-hmm. territory with tons of different people different back nationality backgrounds and everything so it's kind of cool that they were making this effort to reach out to them and make them feel a part of the project i'm not sure how much of that actually translates into because you know there's problems throughout the soviet union's history of 
like, oh, are we being too like Russian centric and stuff? And mm-hmm. sometimes it was more deliberate. It's like, let's be Russian centric. So it's like, they don't always fulfill that, but I think it's cool that they're starting with that sort of revolutionary fervor, at least. I appreciated the, the globalist effort. I don't know how successful it was. I, I do have a question, like when that bad translation happens and they change his speech to say holy war instead of class war, was that a tactic that they used to, I guess, stir up the Middle East, I'm assuming? I think so. Maybe, I don't know of those words, perhaps, but they're in, in the wiki article anyway about the about the congress of the peoples of the east um <laughs> uh marxist historian e.h Carr does talk about the common turns uh using this muslim tradition of jihad or holy war kind of like trying to use that in the revolutionary sense mm-hmm. so they i mean i don't know how they worded it or whatever but they may have done you know something to kind of nod to their religious traditions yeah, I mean, we've talked about, like, there is also an interpretation of Islam that can be socialist, so, like, it's not completely far-fetched. But, I mean, I guess I get Reed being upset about it because he's he's not, you know, trying to do it, any sort of religious sort of he's thing. He's like, that's so. not what I said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's gotta be weird. So, on his way back from this conference, the train gets attacked. I'm assuming by the white army. They were wearing white, but it could have just been, like, some guys, I don't know. <laughs> Just some stormtroopers out there. Yeah, that was the white army. (laughs) Okay, I figured. I figured. Okay. But he makes it back, and he reunites with Louise. I got very anxious on that train stop scene where she kept looking for him. I was like, oh, gosh. She keeps not seeing him, and then there's the guy in the red veil, and she's like, no, no, he's dead. He's dead. Yeah, she thinks he's dead. Yeah. They reunite, and then he immediately, like, is super sick from his kidney problems and dies in the hospital. So, bummer. Bummer ending. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> my very small petty note is uh i really like the fashion <laughs> i mentioned the beach fashion already but i also liked like kind of louise's early looks like it was very gibson girl like with the choker and the floppy hair i thought she looked great <laughs> they all had good fashion i liked uh i liked the food choices sometimes i liked zenoviev digging into a lemon with the peel <laughs> and an onion just a and raw an onion, onion? That was insane. Think about that man's breath. What does that smell like? I mean, lemon and onion. (laughs) Lemon, that doesn't sound like a bad addition to breath, but onion. But he says together they fight the scurvy. They fight together better. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't. So I've looked that up. I could not find any. I mean, you know, I know lemons have that scurvy, but I've never seen anything that's like eat lemon with the peel and also eat it with onion. So you don't get scurvy, but I uh, I can't imagine the onion would be very helpful with that. Yeah, and the peel, what would the peel have in it? No idea. <laughs> Maybe more like oils, because the the skin is very oily. Yeah, but I didn't know that that would be linked to fighting off scurvy, scurvy. But I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Another food scene. Jack is very bad at cooking. That was upsetting Horrible. to watch. He's just setting everything <laughs> on fire. In contrast, I think Louise is great at cooking because at one point she's using like a whole bulb of garlic to make a sauce. It looks great. Yeah, and he just comes in and does a dad joke like, we're having garlic yeah. for dinner, honey? <laughs> I was like, that sounds delicious. Please. <laughs> Actually, yes. <laughs> I got very nervous because they, they have a fight after that. And I'm just like, who's watching the stove? <laughs> uh, they have a very cute dog. The dog is cute. I worried about the dog a lot because they kept leaving the country. And I was like, hey, what about your dog? Yeah. <laughs> they probably knew people too. 
come check on I it. assume. I assume. <laughs> Good dog owners, hopefully. Hopefully so. Maybe Edward Herman was just hanging out with the dog the whole time. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, what else was interesting? So who is your favorite or who are some of your favorite uh, of the, they were calling the witnesses, the, the old people they were interviewing? Oh, gosh. I don't know any of their names. I was looking at a list of them earlier today. Mm-hmm. I wish they had had captions on who they were while they were talking. I liked that one old British lady with the huge eyes behind her glasses. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was cool. I think she was Rebecca West. Let's see. Anyway, but yeah, she was cool. I like the lady that was that was communist. You know, she was singing like the International. Oh, that was great. Yeah, she was into it. <laughs> it's like cool. <laughs> yeah, she was great. I just found a picture of like a poster with all the witnesses. Uh, who else did I like? I liked Roger Baldwin. Obviously, he's he's interesting in life. Anyway, uh, was one of the founders of the ACLU. Mm, okay. He did some good stuff, you know, as founder of the ACLU or whatever, directed some of their defenses like the Scopes trial and the Sacco and Vanzetti trial and okay. stuff like that. He was involved with the IWW early on and was like fairly pro-Soviet Union in the early days, but then like became anti eventually. More, You know, kind of the similar vein of the other guy about like Stalinism or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Who was the guy, at one point there was a guy who was like, yeah, I like, he bragged about like sending communists to jail or Ooh, something. Oh, you're talking about him. Hamilton Fish? Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was. Um, that motherfucker? He was like in Congress, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, That's that'll why. do it. He was, he okay. was like, oh yeah, I wrote, we had this law and so I got them to deport the communists. That's what it was. That's what it was. I was like, oh, hate this guy. <laughs> he was one of John Reed's classmates. Really? Wow. And he's over here Harsh. yucking it up like, yeah, got him deported. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I just a quick one. When they go to the liberal club meeting, <laughs> blah, the worst. This guy just going on about freedom and patriotism. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, if this is the liberal club, no thank you. It surely would have been, though. I mean, you know, that was. I'm sure. I mean, honestly, it would be today. <laughs> it would be. It absolutely would be. Like. It, it would have in this house we believe in science and whatever whatever <laughs> we believe and that's in what the real america strikes. is <laughs> exactly yes queen and this is one of our first interactions or you know one of our first scenes with jack reed and they ask him to speak about what the war is really about he just says profits, profits. <laughs> and then sits back down and i was like i'm gonna like this guy <laughs> yes and then i mean you know he does he expounds on that idea with louise later which was a cool scene I loved that. I love the like the directorial choices there, like just the editing of like the coffee pouring and just like talking. Like it really captures what it feels like to be kind of manically discussing something you're super into mm-hmm. with someone you're also kind of super into. Like Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was really funny where he he was like he's kind of wrapping things up cuz it it turned it was morning. They talk all night and she is like do you want to take this forever? And he's like, yeah. And then like, he thinks he's going to get some and then she gives him her portfolio to read. Yeah. She's, That's fucking good. What was it? Um, she was like, I've got something for you to look at or something. Yeah. She's like, can I be a little selfish? And he, he was thinks like, yep. he's going to like, yeah. yep. <laughs> and she's like, nope. That was funny. Yeah. <laughs> K 
Can we talk about a few of the people? At one point, the the witnesses, one of them, well, not one of them, I guess they all start listing names of the Greenwich Village crew. Oh, okay. I wrote down all their names. We've got Max Eastman, which we've talked about. We talked about Bill Haywood briefly. I guess he was just like a union organizer guy. Yeah, he was one of the founders of the IWW. Big Bill Haywood was his nickname. That's great. uh, I want to be Big Christine. Dude, that would be cool. Yeah. No, he. um, (laughs) That'd be so good. He was big time organizer, big time agitator. He, you know, was always out there with the strikers and everything. He ends up in the Soviet Union. Like, he gets sentenced to jail and. I think sometime he's like trying to appeal it. And so he's like not in prison for a while, but then he skips the country and goes to Soviet union. He's remember they say one of the witnesses says that Jack Reed was buried in the Kremlin, like in the Kremlin wall, yeah. which is true. Oh, uh, he's, and they say, he's, I don't know if they give the number, but he's one of three Americans to have that honor. Really? Another of whom is Bill Haywood. <gasps> Who's the third? The third is Charles Ruthenberg, C.E. Ruthenberg, uh, who was a one of the founders of the Communist Party USA. Oh, okay, okay. They didn't get their name on that plaque. Did they get their name on that plaque? Like what's his name did last week? Oh, the plinth. No, the the big obelisk. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. they didn't get that. Damn. But okay. they Different are in, you know buried in or I guess. I don't know if it's their ashes or if they're buried because there's different parts of it, but they're in the uh, in the Kremlin Wall Necropolis thing with with like Stalin and Lenin wow. and Brezhnev, all the leaders, you know, like crazy. Everyone they think is cool anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm gonna go through this list again. Walter Lippmann. Don't know who that is. Walter Lippmann. He was um he was the leader of the Socialist Party when. When Jack Reed first joined it, but he was, I don't know if he was around when they did that split. I'm not sure, but cause he's, not, he's a weird, he's a very weird guy. Walter Littman <laughs> uh, is like a very liberal guy. Mm. So I think maybe in his, in his youth, he was like socialist and then gradually gets more liberal. He, um, he's a reporter, a political commentator. I say he's a liberal, but like he comes to this idea that like, a, an elite educated intelligentsia sort of should like mm. st- steer public opinion in different ways. And like, that's also pretty liberal. Right. Yeah, I guess <laughs> so. If that's the West wing. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of a West wing guy before that's around. <laughs> and he kind of thought that, yeah, like in, smart people like him should direct people to believe the right way. There's a very interesting documentary by adam curtis called the century of the self and it's got multiple multiple parts but the first part talks about him walter Lippmann, and uh edward bernays uh, who i think was like related to sigmund freud his nephew oh. i want to say and they kind of like invent the field of public relations <laughs> interesting <laughs> based off that's of a stuff. weird field yeah so they and, and it's like all based in this idea of like the smart people should direct things. Um, mm, gross. Yeah. Interesting. So that's, that's uh, Walter Lippmann. <laughs> Lincoln Steffens or maybe Stevens. I don't know if I took my notes wrong. I was typing really quickly cause they were running through these names. 
Lincoln Steffens, an American investigative journalist, one of the leading muckrakers. Uh, Alfred Stieglitz, I knew that one. That's like a photographer. Ah, okay. I did not know that one. He was, I think, buddies and maybe, maybe, yeah, he was married. Yeah, he was married to Georgia O'Keeffe. I'm like, I know they were involved. Ah, I just couldn't okay. remember how much. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he was like really famous as a, both a photographer and like a like an art promoter. Like he he hooked her up with a lot of stuff. Okay. And Margaret Sanger, so birth control. Yeah. That was cool. I think at some point when he's hard up for money, like when everyone's super into World War One, and he's out there saying like, "But fuck World War One." Uh, mm-hmm. Jack Reed sells that like cottage, the the beachside cottage to Margaret Sanger. Oh, okay. Maybe she takes the dog. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then yeah, Eugene O'Neill, who we already talked about. Okay, cool crew for the most part. Yeah, not bad. I'm into it. Also, I just I looked. I found a better image of the the witnesses from the movie, and the lady that was like everyone was in favor of the war. She was a, a recruiting girl for for World War One. So, yeah. <laughs> mm, okay. She was also like a like a suffragist or something. She was she was in the suffrage movement, right? Uh, Dorothy Frooks. Yeah, she is. So not all bad. Not all bad, but you know, just a little patriotic for our taste. That's all. Yes, give women rights, but also let's do war. So definitely a lib. We believe in science. Women should vote. <laughs> Drone strikes for everyone. <laughs> as long as they vote for war. Ugh. <laughs> uh, I also had like the disturbing thought that definitely all these people are dead. Yeah, that any old movie with old people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, even Edward Herman, like that was sad. Oh, he didn't see. Yeah, his... he died 2016, I think 2015. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to have to buy Kyle a little pair of round glasses. I think that's my new thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's my new orientation is young Edward Herman. I want a tall man with little round glasses. <laughs> uh, do you have any other notes? Do you want to hear a little bit of Jack Reed's writing? Yeah. I'll kind of take a few highlights from this one, but I think it's pretty funny. Uh, he's He wrote this in 1918, December 18th, in a magazine called The Revolutionary Age. He says, In response to anxious queries from our capitalist acquaintances as to the danger of a Bolshevik revolution in the United States within the next two weeks, we wish to settle the question once and for all. Uh, his, his humor is like sort of a, a dry sarcasm. Yeah. So yeah. he'll just say, like, oh, these guys think it's going to happen in two weeks, you know, sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> number one, the American working class is politically and economically the most uneducated working class in the world. It believes what it reads in the capitalist press. It believes that the wage system is ordained by God. and believes that Charles Schwab is a great man because he can make money. It believes that mm-hmm. Samuel Gompers and the AFL will protect it as much as it can be protected. It believes that under our system of government, the millennium is possible. When the Democrats are in power, it believes the promises of Republicans and vice versa. It believes that labor law means what they say. It is prejudiced against socialism. Hey, what's the AFL? They mentioned that a few times in the movie. I've heard of that. That's the American Federation of Labor. Okay, okay. It is a craft trade union. So like it's uh, just like the carpenters or just like Mm -hmm. the plumbers or whatever, like specific things. Um, And it was seen as like a labor aristocracy, like really only focused on getting benefits for its members rather than doing anything like overthrowing the system. 
Okay, cool. Because, yeah, based on the movie, it sounded like they didn't like them. So. Yeah, and that was one of the big points of contention. Jack Reed kept saying, like, you guys are trying to radicalize the AFL, and it's just not going to work, you know? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, another good gem from this. Let's see. His third point, with the exception of the Jewish workers, other foreigners, and a devoted sprinkling of Americans, the Socialist Party is made up largely of petty bourgeois, for the most part occupied in electing aldermen and assemblymen to office, where they turn into time-serving politicians and in explaining that socialism does not mean free love. The composition of the English-speaking branches is little shopkeepers, clerks, doctors, lawyers, farmers, a few teachers, some skilled workers, and a handful of intellectuals. That's so interesting because he's definitely one of those people. <laughs> yeah, but he's kind of saying like, it's not of the working class really though. Even, I mean, like he's part of that, but yeah, like you said. <laughs> but does he even want that? Because I mean, later he calls them dumb. So like, and even in that, even earlier, the statement he did just before, like he thinks they're uneducated and, you know, dummies. So like, is he, is that a critique or is that just, he's explaining how it is? Or both. Yeah, I think it's both, right? So he's saying the general workers who are not in the Socialist Party are uneducated. They need to be, a, you know, they, we need to educate them, not like in book, you know, in just math, but like <laughs> politically raise their consciousness, right? Get them in the mm-hmm. party and start doing this kind of, you know, I mean, kind of like what Lenin was doing and stuff. And mm-hmm. So start secret book clubs, <laughs> start podcasts. <laughs> exactly. But I think that's interesting because, like, he also seems to think they should be led by the party. Like, at what point do you say, okay, now you're smart enough to take over the party? Like, I don't know. That's that's kind of weird. What do you mean? I'm I'm thinking about later when he's talking to Emma Goldman and saying, like, oh, well, we have to have, you know, a vanguard party and we have to lead people who are too dumb to manage this themselves. Mm -hmm. And I guess what I'm saying is that, like, how do you go about one like how do you go about educating like that's obviously a huge problem at what point do you who gets to determine who is like smart enough to to lead things you know like at what point are you like all right you're done with communist school like congratulations you can now be in the official party like that seems like bullshit well partially i mean uh effective political parties do have like membership qualifications right like the black panther party they had a course you had to go through before you would be actually in the party Mm, okay. You know, uh, and I don't think that that's bad necessarily. I mean, it, if it's discriminatory in a way that's like, you know, done to be exclusive for exclusiveness sake, I don't think is good. But like to make sure people are effective. I don't know. Because I, I, I think it's also run democratically, right? Like if you're doing democratic centralism right, you are picking party leadership and stuff through the rank and file. Again, I'm not saying that people need to know science or math or any particulars, <laughs> but they just got to have like, okay, what it, what is our party about? Okay, what do we want to do? Just so you don't have like assholes join it. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's, it, maybe the, the terminology is hurting us here of the way he characterizes people as like uneducated or like willing to believe anything, things like that. I think maybe it's it's just that you have to get people on board. And I think that's what he does a good job of doing in the early parts of the movie where he is just literally talking to workers. Just like, hey, how much do you make? Like, hey, what's going on? And raising that class consciousness that way. Maybe I'm seeing it in too, in too formal of a matter. And uh, yeah, and I think you're, you're onto it here now because 
in that paragraph, remember, he says they're the most uneducated class around it, right? But he says, why? Because they believe what they see in the press. They believe mm-hmm. the wage system. So he's meaning more like they are under illusions. And it's our yes. job to like dispel those illusions and thereby get them into the party. It's not so much like you're too stupid. That may have been the case of what he was arguing in the Russian situation where, again, they were doing like literacy campaigns and stuff to to combat that. But he's here, here he's saying that the stupidity is not just like a, a lack of literal education, but he's saying a mystification, you know, like we are They're misled. being misled. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I. Yeah, and I think the movie does a good job of like having that backdrop of the of World War One as like a contrast between like the like we said the Liberal Party where it's all patriotism and rah rah bullshit, and they they show like a, a an anti war rally too, and it it's just it does a good job of showing that like here's how patriotism can serve as that kind of opiate. And, and yeah. Oh, I love Emma Goldman says at one point like, Oh, voting's just the opiate. Like every four years, it deadens the pain. I was like, Oh, yes. wow. Yep. <laughs> that was really tasty. He also said something about that in here. He says in the United States, the socialists have some power. They can swing a million votes. The official majority in the socialist party is more interested in swinging these votes than in socialism. But they cannot compete mm. with bourgeois reform groups like the progressives or the Democrats under Wilson. Yeah. So yeah. just getting like distracted by electoralism for electoralism's sake. I mean, like do both, but it's not really the deal. Uh, but I do like at the he has a he has kind of a foolish, a foolish conclusion to this in the light of history written in 1918. He says, uh, if Tom Mooney stays in jail, this was a, uh, a labor leader who got falsely convicted of a bombing mm, okay. who did stay in jail. If wages go down, if socialists are arrested and the red flag suppressed, there will be a revolutionary movement in this country in five years. Oh, Jack. <laughs> he was hopeful, but <laughs> he was. that did not happen. Not quite. Ugh. That was an article titled Bolshevism in America. And you can read a lot of things by Jack Reed on Marxist.org, the internet archive thing, you know? Mm-hmm. They've got a bunch of stuff on him. Friend of the show. Yeah. Do they have his book? Well, they have 10 Days That Shook the World, yes. So they That's have the that one, one I wanted. Yeah, they have that. <laughs> and is it good? Should I read it? It's really long is the thing. Oh, no. In my opinion. <laughs> I mean, it's not really, really long. Like, for readers of books, I just... <laughs> I'm mm. lazy. Uh, but yeah. it's... it's um. I read some of it like whenever I was doing the Russian Revolution stuff and everything to kind of get a view of that. Or one of the first sections is this notes and explanations thing where he has like a list of political parties and all this stuff to kind of like all these terms to like organization. Like, yeah. What are Soviets? What's a Duma? What's all this? Yeah, that's so. probably really helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. My to read pile is still too large. I don't, I don't know if I'll get to it. It's uh, it's pretty good. It's got a, it's got an introduction by Lenin, so Ooh, wow. it's got a good endorsement. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for a scene between him and Lenin. I was kind of disappointed they didn't do that. Uh, yeah, that may have been for the American audience, because they, they <laughs> literally do meet. They meet, first of all, while they're in the meetings planning the October Revolution and stuff. Like, they meet Damn. In, that, in that whole time period, you know? That tumultuous there, writing 10 Days That Shook the World. Like, he's in meetings with Lenin. That's how he can character, you know, he characterizes him as like, he's a weird leader because he's not, you know. <laughs> he's cold and, impa- and humorless. Yeah. 
and then they also talk later when he comes back from Baku and is reunited with Bryant. Uh, they end up uh, meeting Lenin, talking to Lenin, to Trotsky, to Lev Kamenev, just, you know, doing kind of a tour of Bolshevik leaders. Wow. Okay. That's another thing I wanted to touch on before we totally wrap up here is how the fuck did this movie get made? I was like, man, this is like extremely communist. Right. So it's not, I kind of wanted to talk about that. Do you think, I think it's broadly sympathetic. It has I think a, it is too. It's got critiques around the edges, but more in this like ANCOM sort of way. It's yes. never saying like, it's just bullshit, you know? Yeah, and, and the moments where people push back against it, it's usually characterized as a stupid thing to do. Like like the Senate hearing, like I think most people saying that would be like, hey, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, the critique is from an ANCOM perspective. And I'm just like, how, like, do I not know about, like, Warren Beatty? Was he, like, secretly cool? <laughs> like, <laughs> what's going on? Was Diane Keaton, is she a comrade? What's going on? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know about the actors per se. I know that. Oh well, no, yeah. The guy that played Zenovia was like very anti-communist and was, I guess, outspoken about that or something. And they were doing shooting in Finland, and he was like, "No, the KGB is going to come get me if I go do that." They had oh to, yeah, they had I read that on him. the wiki. <laughs> yeah, that's fucking hilarious. Uh, let's see. I, I know that Warren Beatty is just like a he's a he's like a liberal, just like mm-hmm. a Democratic Party sort of person. I wonder if that's why they framed it as more of like a kind of a love story epic tale as opposed to just focusing on Jack, like to to emphasize the human aspect of it and be like, yeah, this is just a really interesting guy, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I think to me that's more like, or that's a good appeal for like the audience, right? You know, um, to get Americans to watch a movie about communism. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Even the the HBO description, that's how they, they set it up, was like, a world war serves as the backdrop between for a romance between so-and-so and so-and-so. I'm like, um, okay. I mean, yeah, you're right. It is about the relationship, but it's also about a lot of other things. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did appreciate... I think the love story did... He he works those two together well. You know, mm-hmm. I think that was well done. Uh, I'm reading a little bit about the financing that apparently was difficult to secure because of the controversial <laughs> communist subject matter and the high price tag. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering how much was on location. But he apparently had just done a very successful film that he had also starred in, co-wrote, and co-directed. So he was like, I can do this, right? He actually was not thinking to act in it in the first place. Oh, yeah. I saw he considered John Lithgow, which that would have been interesting. <laughs> I don't know him from much. I know I, I've seen him like his picture. I know which guy he is, but I don't know. I mean, I watched him in Third Rock, but just for a bit. <laughs> that would be funny. Whoa! They screened this movie at the White House in the Reagan White House. Whoa! There's a picture of Warren Beatty with Diane Keaton and Nancy Reagan at a White House screening in 1981. What the fuck? I wonder what he took from this. Yeah. What? What is that conversation like? <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> Interesting. He was probably just like that was bullshit, but <laughs> <laughs> that sucked. Whatever, but That's it was a, a good movie. movie. Like, I mean, in terms of other people's reviews that are like more credentialed than us. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I was. I'm super curious what like what mainstream like America thinks of this movie. Like, yeah, you're right. Like, it it's was it's hailed as a critically acclaimed movie but i'm 
I guess maybe I'm so curious because our lens is so fucking left. Yeah. That like, what would someone else see this movie as? Uh, you know, it's got 89 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's pretty high. It's why I think it's just it is well done, and I don't know. Maybe people who aren't even sympathetic could come away from it like, man, that you know. I felt for those characters because that's well done too is like you really give a damn about them. Whereas you could see you, you might not care so much about like the minute details of party splits. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. That I think is, is a big part of its power. Yeah, I agree. It is, it is a very nicely made movie. Like the costuming, the set design, like it's all very beautiful but like realistic, it feels like, like I said, I really like kind of the montage elements of some of these scenes. Like they do a good job of covering a fuck ton of material. And the interviews too. I thought that was just a great touch. I think so too. So like, I think it is just a very good film in terms of, I mean, not that I'm like a film critic, but I liked it. I'm, yeah, I know <laughs> not I'm not just one. because it was super <laughs> communist. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm not a qualified film critic at all but i, I took did a like film class in high school and i mostly just dicked around so <laughs> i yeah. thought everyone did we're not all uh we're not all dawson <laughs> but one other thing uh in the cast you had the person who was most a stickler for credentials was mr feeney who was he in that the guy in the socialist party who was like you don't have credentials to speak here. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, that was him? Yeah, that was Mr. Feeney. What a jerk. Also, Gene Hackman was in there for a second. Yeah, he was the uh, the publisher He's, guy who was like, ah, yeah, just a bunch of reds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was funny. <laughs> uh, they, yeah, they had a great cast. Yeah, this guy, Julius Gerber, is who Julius Mr. Feeney Gerber. was playing. Who is Mr. Okay. Feeney? What is his name? <laughs> William Daniels. William Daniels, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I think that's... That's about it, right? That's about it. Uh, Star rating? Star rating, ooh, out of how many? Five? Out of five. I'm going to give it a 4.5, and the 0.5 is only because it is very long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know where else they would have started it or what they could have cut, so, like, it's fine. Maybe a couple of their montages could have been like 30 seconds or a minute shorter because like there's just like a lot like the telegram was like, we get it. Yeah. You're writing a lot of telegrams. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love the cast. I love, like I said, like the storytelling techniques they use and also the story itself was really good. And like, again, I, I, I felt very swept away by the revolutionary spirit of it and very, you know, I feel like this may be a dumb way to review this. I felt what I was supposed to feel. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You, so you feel like the movie. It swept me away. Yeah. intended to stir you in a certain way and it accomplished that. Yes. Versus yes, sometimes when a... you're like really laughing at what's supposed to be a serious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, you know, I got very frustrated with the party and fighting and all that shit. And yeah. Also, I loved the lady who played Emma Goldman. She was great. She was a badass. Yeah. She won Best Supporting Actress for that and absolutely deserved it. Oh, yeah. Who was that? Maureen Stapleton. Yes. I tried to look into what else she was in. I didn't really recognize her from anything else. Mm, older stuff than we know, maybe. Exactly. 
we're well, not she did great we're not cultured sorry guys we're not <laughs> sorry <laughs> we're doing our best all right what about you uh my star rating is can i copy with four point i don't know if we're doing yeah, half yeah. stars Are we, have we historically done half stars <laughs> I don't know. I think I probably have. That's all right. There's no rules in the commune. Um, no rules. That's what anarchy is, right? Uh, exactly. No rules. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to get anarchist hate mail now. Oh, no. Uh, I, d- I didn't mean that. So four and a half stars also. My, I was going to dock it a full star for length, but I agree with you that there's just to tell. They're telling the story of a brief time in history. But like we said up top, so much happens in this story and to make it human for audiences and center it on this love story and, and intertwine that with this revolutionary tale, there's, you know, you can only condense it so much. So yeah, four and a half stars. And I think if you had just gone purely historical, it'd be like, and then this happened and then this happened, like it'd be hard to keep up with and it wouldn't be interesting. And you, yeah, you wouldn't give a damn about the characters and you'd just be like, that's fine. He died. Yeah, it's like, okay. This was a weird documentary I watched. Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so very well done. We are fans of Reds. If you have a spare three and a half hours, <laughs> you should check it out. If you've it's listened to good. this for some reason without watching it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why you did that. We told you not to, but that's okay. No rules. <laughs> <laughs> I say that to my cat a lot. Sometimes I'll be like, you're so beautiful. You're too beautiful. Who told you to be that way? Mm, It's illegal. And then I'll be like, no, just kidding. We're an anarchist household. No rules. (laughs) You can be as cute as you want to be. What is going on next week? What are we doing? So next time we're going to be taking a trip to Europe. Not literally, but in our episode. I wish. (laughs) Uh, And taking a trip back in time Mm -hmm. uh, to the time period between 1945 and 1992. And we'll be talking about Yugoslavia. Ooh, okay. This is a fairly heavily requested topic. I know nothing. I'm not even super sure where it is. So great. Mm. Blank slate. All right. Good. Uh, I guess. (laughs) Good. Good. Great. I'm glad (laughs) you're so dumb. Not dumb. I'm Googling right now. So back then, a bunch of different countries that are there now were Yugoslavia, all in one country, um, the Federal People's Republic of Yugoslavia, and then later the Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. And so that was a big deal. It was around for a long time. So we'll try to cover their history and kind of what all was going on then. Uh, one big figure we'll talk about is a guy named Tito, his impact on Yugoslavia and everything and what was going on there. But like it outlives him for a while too. So we'll try to cover all of it. I'll see how it goes. Maybe it'll be a two parter. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) All right, listeners, if you're wondering, it is just east of Italy. If you're like me and you didn't know where this was. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Oh, I try to provide for, for my people. (laughs) (laughs) They're all of our people, comrade. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, I will talk to you next week then. All right. See you then. Bye. Bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question. 
anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't gonna line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.